Let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians chapter number 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to two passages today. We have been looking for several weeks now in the theme of living biblically. And today we're going to consider the fruit of the Spirit, start that. In our previous studies, we've seen Paul's explanation of the liberty the believer has and how it is to be used. We see in Christ that we have salvation. That's found in Galatians 5, 1 to 12. Secondly, in Christ, we have liberty. And that's verse 13 to 15. And third, we found that liberty requires us to walk in the Spirit. And that's verse 16 to 24. Today, I want to start looking at this fruit of the Spirit that we have considered, and that is fruit that is found in every believer who is living biblically. And that's a huge statement to make. But as we study the Scripture, we find that when we are led of the Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit. So we are looking at what is found in every believer who is living biblically. Beginning at chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and then there's a list of nine items in this fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. As we consider this fruit, that it's, fruit is that which is produced by an inherent energy of a living being. This living being in the believer is the Holy Spirit. And the word is used in suggesting the unity of the character of the Lord as reproduced in the believer. And that's from Vine's Expository Dictionary defining the word fruit. The idea here is fruit is something that comes from a living resource, something that's alive. So the Holy Spirit is alive and he's to be alive in the believer, actively working in us, producing something in us. Ultimately, we are to be like Christ. We're to look like Christ. We're to think like Christ. We're to talk like Christ. We're to treat others like Christ treated them so that he might be the first one among many brothers and sisters, as the Bible tells us. So this fruit concept is what God is producing in the life of a submissive believer. So there has to be a submission on our part, a decision that we make that we want to follow the Lord and obey the Lord. When we do that and we enact that in our life through God's power, we will see these results come out of our life. And so he says it's the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. Uh, that which the Holy Spirit creates inside the believer and brings to the surface in the life of the believer who is walking under the leadership and control of the Holy Spirit as he dwells within that believer. 
To display no fruit is an indication of no Holy Spirit. That's just biblical. If God the Spirit's living in us, there's going to be something making it evident. So he says the fruit of the Spirit is. This is identical or will be identified with. When one speaks or walks in the Spirit, one is talking of following the fruit, of the following fruit that's listed here. The first one is probably the most challenging, the word love. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what is known as the love chapter of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. The word love in the Greek is the word agape. It's the same word that describes God. It's the kind of love that God is. So when you talk about agape, you're talking about God. And so 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a biblical description of agape. And we're going to look at that starting at verse number 4. Charity. The word charity is an old English word for the word love. Charity in our day means giving to someone in need. That is not the concept here. It's the word love. Verse 3, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, charity is giving all my goods to the poor. So it's the word love. And have not love, it doesn't profit me in all the good deeds that I do if I don't have love as the originator or the force behind what I'm doing. And then he says, he describes this word love in verse 4 and following. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never fails. So let's look at those concepts there. First of all, we see that Christ-like love is unending and kind even when going through times of suffering. It tells us that love suffereth long and is kind. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. God gave his son as a sacrifice for everybody that hated him. Love. Romans 5.12, but God displayed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Adam Clark commentary makes this statement. Love for God and for our neighbor, for God's sake, is patient toward all men. It endures all the weakness, ignorance, errors and infirmities of the children of God and all the malice and wickedness of the children of the world. All this, not merely for a time, but long without end. 
For it is still a state of the mind or disposition that waits on God's time of accomplishing his gracious or providential purposes and does so without murmuring or complaining. It also bears its own infirmities as well as those of others with humble submission to the will of God. Love is kind and unending. We see the word kind here. Kind is is tender compassion, which kind and obligating to others, which is kind and obligating to others. It is mild, gentle, non-threatening. If called to suffer, love inspires the sufferer with the most pleasant sweetness and tenderest affection. It is also submissive to all the will of God and creates trouble for no one. Love is kind. Ephesians 4.32 And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Love suffers long and is kind. Or love is kind while it's suffering. Now that brings a lot of thoughts to my mind about my own self, about how I respond when I'm suffering, whatever the suffering may be, doesn't matter. How do I respond? How do I act? How do I react? Am I kind? Or do I blame my suffering as my excuse for my unkindness? When the Holy Spirit is in control of my life, Even when I am suffering, he will enable me to do it graciously, knowing that that is God's will for my life at that moment. And he will also help me to be kind as I'm going through it. Now, that's not humanly possible. So if you're trying to say, well, I'm just going to do, no, you're not going to do better. I'm not going to do better. The only thing that I can do to help me Achieve this is to say, Lord, I need you and allow him to work. Now, when I say that, I'm asking for suffering. You know, it's like patience. Don't ever pray that God will give you patience. I mean, if you do, you just ask. It's like putting a gun to your head and playing Russian roulette. You know, it's suffering. You're asking God to bring hardship into your life because patience only is learned through hard times. That's biblical. So if I'm going to be kind and and act in a kind way and be willing to suffer graciously, I just ask God to help me when I do. I'm not asking him to bring it on. I'm just asking when he does see fit to bring it into my life or allow it, that I will be willing to suffer graciously and kind in the process. Now, we're not here to point out these things so you can look at all your failures. Because I'm the guy back here preaching this. And I've already gone through this two or three times getting ready for today. So there's not many failures that God hadn't reminded me of already. But what we're looking at is from this point on, moving forward. Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind and looking to the things that are before. 
History cannot be changed. The future can. We can behave differently in the future than we have in the past. And the rule for failure is to do the same thing over and over and over again the same way and expect a different result. It's not going to happen. We have to be willing to let God work in us now. So I'm giving you this to help you to move forward and let God work in your heart in a forward motion. Hopefully in the past, you've already put that under the blood, your past failures. So first of all, Christ-like love is unending and kind even when going through times of suffering. Secondly, Christ-like love is not envious. Verse 4. Envious means to burn with jealousy and anger over another person's advancement materially or spiritually. To be jealous because somebody has moved ahead in the world, has something that maybe you have wanted to have but can't have or can't afford, or they've reached a spiritual relationship with the Lord and that's the kind of relationship you wanted to have but you don't seem to be having it, therefore you are envious of them. You're burning with jealousy and an inside anger. Now you may not express it outwardly, but boy, inside you're just fuming. A couple examples, Acts 7, 9. And the patriarchs, moved with fear, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. They moved with envy. They were jealous because Joseph had been shown favor that they wanted to be seen. They wanted to receive it, and they weren't receiving it. Mark 15:10 for he Pilate knew that the chief priest had delivered Jesus for envy the chief priests were not getting thus the following and the results with their doings as Jesus was Jesus spoke people followed people listened they would go against him and tell what a a false prophet he was, and it just seemed to drive people to him. Therefore, they became jealous and envious of it to the point of murdering him. Therefore, this jealousy was not a godlike love. We battle jealousy. We battle envy. The only way we don't battle it is we're laying in a casket. Sometimes, somewhere along the way, we're going to be envious of something, of someone. And we have to figure out how we're going to deal with it. Some believers battle with it more than others. But we have to decide what we're going to do with our life to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. And the way we battle this envy is to realize we are where we are because that's where God wants us to be. We have what we have because that's what God wants us to have. We are where we are spiritually because that's where God wants us to be spiritually. We can increase our relationship with the Lord. It takes time and effort and work. But we should not be envious of someone else because of their successes. It'd be easy for me to be jealous of other pastors because of their seeming success as I look at it. That because they may have a huge ministry or world impact does not make them closer to God than I am. It doesn't make me farther away from God than they are. 
So we are individuals and God has us where he wants us to be. And we must allow him to keep us from being envious. Third, Christ-like love is not boastful. Vaunteth not itself, the King James says. The idea is a self-display. Bragging about one's self. Embellishments about who one is or what they have accomplished. In Christian circles, we talk, we call that speaking evangelistically. I'll meet with people and meet them on the street and talk to them, wherever it may be. And I end up telling them that I'm a pastor and they say, well, how many come to church? I want to say 5,000, but that'd be a lie. So I tell them, we have 5,000 coming. We catch maybe 70 or 80 of them. No. But seriously, I mean, it's just life. It's easy for us to promote ourselves, being self-centered. All of us battle this. All of us are in love with self. God knows this, and he told the husbands through the Apostle Paul that we're to love our wives as we love ourselves. Why? Because... God knows we men love ourselves, even though we would say, no, I don't love. Yes, we do. And so as believers, our focus is not to be on me, not embellishing who I am. B, this includes all forms of desire to gain the applause of others. Love does not seek to win admiration and applause. Charles Hodge commentary states. The believer does not brag or draw attention away from others concerning those positive qualities he or she has because he or she knows those qualities are on loan from God and are to be used for his glory alone. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. You and I have to say that same thing. And when we say I am what I am by the grace of God, we're including everything we are and everything we have. Everything that is part of our world. It's all because of the grace of God, not because of our hard work or our good looks or our practicing healthy practices. We are what we are by the grace of God. So love is not self-seeking. Fourth, love is not proud. The idea word puffed up. It means to be full of air, self-inflated. But when you let the air out, what do you have? Nothing. When you have all the air in it, what do you have? Nothing. You can't touch it. It's not tangible. It's just air. You know it's there in a balloon because the balloon has expanded. But you can't see the air in the balloon. And the moment the balloon gets a crack in it or a hole, that air is gone. And so believers are not proud. We are not arrogant. We are not self-centered. We are not full of air and self-inflated. We don't become arrogant because we remind ourselves of who we are. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. 
And anything beyond that that is good is God, not me. Being puffed up causes spiritual blindness and leads to sinful behavior. Colossians 2.18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his own fleshly mind. In other words, don't let some arrogant, so spiritual leader, as he calls himself, come along and tell you something that is contrary to the scripture. He is blind in his own mind. He is puffed up. He is so full of himself that he can't see God or the error of his way. Turn with me a few pages back to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 4, verse number 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yet I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Paul says, I have a responsibility to serve the Lord. And I don't take that responsibility lightly. I'm supposed to be faithful. So I'm trying to do what God's called me to do. But yet there are people out there judging me. But I'm not going to let man's judgment stop me from serving God. Because I know who I am. I'm sinner saved by grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. And so I'm just going to continue to serve the Lord and let God take care of all those people who are proud, who are puffed up, who are critics, who are people who are so spiritual, they can tell me all the wrong I'm doing or all the wrong that other believers are doing. Paul says, I'm going to continue to serve God. I'm not going to get puffed up. Now, why does he think that way? Because he has the Holy Spirit living in him. He has the Holy Spirit to guide him. So he has determined by the grace of God not to become puffed up. Fifth, Christ-like love is concerned about the testimony of Christ and foremost. The thing that motivates the believer filled with the love of the Holy Spirit is their love for Jesus. It behaveth itself unseemly. And the Bible says in verse 5, it doth not do that. 
It does not behave itself unseemly, rude and unbecoming of a follower of Christ. You look at people and say, they profess to be a Christian? And they're acting that way? Or they're talking like that? Now, we're not judging those people. We're just looking at the fruit. The fruit of the believer's behavior ought to exalt Jesus by that which is done and that which is said. It does not behave itself unseemly. It does nothing of which one ought to be ashamed, Charles Hodge says. Six, Christ-like love is not self-seeking or self-centered. Seeketh not her own. Seven, Christ-like love does not get upset easily. Doesn't say they're not provoked. It says they're not easily provoked. Easily irritated or angered. Or a person who is quick-tempered. I don't know about you, but I quit, I get quick-tempered at other drivers. Coming to the church this morning, we passed two. One car should have known better. The other one, I'm not sure. What they do, they didn't give their signal light when they're turning. My comment is always, I guess that car didn't come with signal lights. Or it must be broken. Is that right of me? I'm bordering on doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm bordering on becoming quick-tempered. Maybe yours is in some other area. Maybe it's your wife or your husband that rises your temper quickly or your children or work or life in general or politics, whatever it may be. Yes, we can become angry, but we don't become angry quickly. And even when we do, that anger is controlled. Our anger should not cause us to behave in an unchristlike manner. Our anger, that energy produced by our anger, you ever notice that? The moment you get angry, you have this sudden burst of energy. That energy should be used to come up with a biblical remedy or solution to whatever made you angry. If it's politics, it ought to cause you to say, you know what, next time I know I'm going to vote for somebody different. I might even get out and knock on a few doors for a candidate. It's not just flying off and blaring out and saying things that we were going to regret. If it's with your wife, then you should use that energy to love her more, to try to be there for her and minister. If it's your husband, then you should use that anger at him to try to be a helpmeet to him, to pray for him, to try to strengthen him as you're called to do. If it's your children, you need to change your correction, your discipline, your training. If it's work, maybe you're in the wrong job. Or maybe God's put you there as a witness. Whatever it may be, whatever is making us quick-tempered, first of all, God's in control of where we are, what we're doing, who we're living with, and He has a plan for us. And that plan does not include flying off the handle. I don't know when I'm going to learn that about drivers. 
But I tried. But I still got a long ways to go. And that's not my only problem. That's the only one I'm going to admit in public. But love is not easily provoked. What easily provokes you? What is the Spirit of God saying to you right now? You need to listen. Love, point eight, Christ-like love does not keep records of wrongs suffered from others. The phrase thinketh no evil. The word thinketh here is a bookkeeping term, which is used meaning to make a permanent entry into one's official records. I'll never forget what they did to me. I'll never forget the hurt they caused me. I'll remember that about them all the days of my life. And we feel justified in that because they did us wrong. That's not Holy Spirit love. That's not the Holy Spirit inside of us. I read you the verse, the notes, point one, D, two. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sakes hath forgiven you. So when you come to this point and you say, I'm never going to forgive them for what they did to me, ask yourself, what if God did that to me? And don't tell me you haven't committed a sin against God that is just as vile as what that person did to you. But we have a responsibility, being led of the Spirit, to keep short accounts. We want God to keep short accounts with us We delight in the verse that says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boy, that's a great verse, but we're not willing to do it to other people. We're not willing to forgive, but they haven't asked me. Show me in the Bible where it says they have to ask you before you forgive them. We're to forgive as God has forgiven us. Love does not keep records of wrongdoing. It doesn't have a permanent record written down where we're going to keep a permanent record either written or in our mind of the wrongs that other people has done us in our lifetime. Now, as I stand here before you, there are names flashing across my screen in my brain of people that have wronged me in my lifetime. But I can say before God, I have forgiven those people. Most of them have never asked me. But I'm going to tell you what, their wrong toward me is not going to hurt my relationship with my God. I'm not going to hold a grudge against them when God has forgiven me so much. And I'm going to forgive them. Lord, I forgive them. Help me to love them. Help me to be able to pray for them earnestly, honestly for their needs, whatever it may be. Why? Because love does not keep records of the wrongs that has been done to them. Nine, Christ-like love does not rejoice in sinful practices. We don't laugh at something we know is wrong. We don't enjoy participating in something we know is wrong. We don't 
enjoy being a part of or watching something we know is wrong. Ten, Christ-like love rejoices in the things that are true to the character and teachings of God. This true here is not because somebody said it's true, it's because it agrees with Scripture. Eleven, Christ-like love bears up under whatever it has to bear up under. Verse seven, beareth all things. The word beareth is the idea to conceal or refuse to repeat. It beareth all things. The concept is that love does not gossip or talk about the faults and imperfections of other people. Christ-like love does not enjoy going about telling other people about somebody's faults. Well, let me tell you about so-and-so so you know how to pray for him. Be careful of using that excuse. Twelve, love is not suspicious in nature. It believeth all things. To accept is honest and truthful. It's the idea of love is not being suspicious, sarcastic, or distrusting of human nature. Yeah, but I know human nature. Well, I do too. But until you prove me wrong, I'm going to trust you. And that's the way we ought to be. Because our God trusts us. He gives us responsibility. Even though he knows who we are. Love is not suspicious. It believeth all things. 13, Christ-like love demonstrates hope in all situations. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. The word hopeth is to have a confident spirit. Christ-like love displays a confident spirit because God is on the throne. Christ-like love is not pessimistic. It's not pessimistic. 14, Christ-like love remains under all circumstances. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. It remains. You know what? They have hurt me so bad, there's no way I can ever love them again. First of all, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. When we fell in love with our husbands or wives, we made a conscious decision to fall in love with them. And when we made that decision, we started practicing all the things that go with loving somebody. For God so loved the world. He didn't love us because he were so great. He just made a decision to love us. And we make that same decision when we love someone. So if you fall out of love with them, you've made a decision to fall out of love with them. But Christ-like love says, I'm not going to fall out of love with them. I am going to love them because I know that's God's will for me to love them in spite of their imperfections, in spite of what they've done. I can honestly say I love that person. I don't love what they're doing. I don't approve of what they're doing. But I love them because they have an eternal soul. And I want God's best for them. So I love them. Christ-like love remains under all circumstances. Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all things have fervent love among yourselves, 
for love shall cover a multitude of sins. 2 Timothy 2.24 And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Not to strive, but to love. And I don't, I'm not going to say this because you're such a bad audience. You're the best congregation. Don't get a big head here. But you're the best congregation I've ever pastored. And I love you and I appreciate you. And you've been very supportive to my wife and me. But if there's anybody, anybody in the world that could be like this and not love somebody because of the way they are treated is a pastor. Those of you in ministry know exactly what I'm talking about. It could be easy for a pastor to not love somebody. But the Bible says we are to love because it covers a multitude of sin. Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, that's a good statement there. And in most cases, that's the truth of the people who are giving you such a hard time. They don't realize what they're doing. And if they did, they wouldn't be doing it. And you can pray that way. Anybody that is hurting you or has hurt you say, well, they know what they're doing. They don't know the full impact of it. They don't know that one day they'll have to answer to God for it. So we continue to love them even though they may not love us. And last but not least, Christ-like love never goes away. It never faileth. Never loses its power and life because it's developed and sustained by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Love survives everything. You see, the love we're talking about here is not human love. It's not human generated. It's not human kept. It's not human fed. It's all God. It's either God doing it or it's not there. So I have to ask myself, as I look at this list, where am I falling short? What area of my life do I need God more in control of? And that's where I say, Lord, I want you to help me to live biblically and allow him to be in charge. What about your heart? What about your life? What about what's going on in your world? What has he shown you this morning? Then that's what you need to address. Don't let this be a something that you are exposed to and then walk out that door and let the world cast that out of your mind. If you need to do business with the Lord, you need to do business with the Lord. Because if you don't, you're going to allow him to hold back and keep back the joy and the blessings he wants because you refuse to walk biblically and live biblically. Lord, I come to you now asking your forgiveness in my own heart, my own life. There are many times, Lord, I stand behind this sacred desk and think within my own mind, yeah, you're a poor excuse to be saying what you're saying. But yet, God, I'm not talking about who I am. I'm talking about what your word teaches. And I know I fail you in many areas, even in this area of love. Forgive me, Father. Help me to be a man with Christ-like love. 
because the Spirit of God is creating that within me and it's showing in my actions, my words, my behavior. Help me, Lord. I am weak, but you're strong. I'm unable, but you are able. And I submit myself to you. When I pray for myself, I pray for everyone here, Lord. Help us to be honest with ourselves. If there's something that we need to address, may we do it today. May we not let this go undealt with. We thank you for your love and mercy to us. We thank you that you never give up on us. That for us, your love is never ending. It's always there. May we have that same kind of love toward others. Guide us through this day. And we will thank you for what you do because we pray our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.